Welcome to the Fair Talks podcast, where we educate everyday people for extraordinary change. I'm your host, Alicia Chan, Executive Director of Fair Trade LA, a community of business members, nonprofits, and fair trade enthusiasts driving proactive, sustainable solutions for a fairer world. I'm also a social entrepreneur with a passion for ending poverty and creating dignified jobs. Together, we'll explore how fair trade changes lives and communities and what we can do to address some of the world's biggest problems right in our own homes. Let's dive in. Fair Talks is brought to you by Fair Trade USA, the organization that brings you the Fair Trade certified label. Fair Trade USA is committed to building an innovative model of responsible business, conscious consumerism, and shared value to eliminate poverty and enable sustainable development for farmers, workers, their families, and communities around the world. What is a sweatshop? Its official definition is a factory or workshop, especially in the clothing industry, where manual workers are employed at very low wages for long hours and under poor conditions. When we think about sweatshops in the United States, we usually associate it with what happens abroad in developing countries, but we don't realize it's happening in our own backyard. Los Angeles is the largest manufacturing hub in our entire country. According to the Garment Workers Center, Los Angeles has the largest cut and sew apparel base in the U.S. Over 45,000 garment workers are in this sector. In 2016, the U.S. Department of Labor found that 85% of L.A. garment factories violated federal wage and hourly laws. Many times, just paying 5 to 6 cents per garment, which means workers are making around $5 per hour. These factories often make clothes for Forever 21, TJ Maxx, and Ross. Fashion Revolution was founded in the wake of the Rana Plaza collapse in April 2013 where over a thousand garment workers died in an instant. Today's conversation is in honor of Fashion Revolution, which is now the world's largest fashion activism movement, mobilizing citizens, brands, and policymakers through research, education, and advocacy. Instead of buying into the latest trends, we are asking the question, who made our clothes? And together, we will discover how the Made in USA label does not mean sweatshop free. In this Fair Talks episode, we are excited to introduce you to the Garment Worker Center, or the GWC, a worker rights organization leading an anti-sweatshop movement to improve conditions for tens of thousands of workers in Los Angeles. Through direct organizing, GWC develops leaders who demand enforcement of strong labor laws and accountability from factory owners, manufacturers, and fashion brands. It is a center for immigrant workers, women of color, and their families who are impacted by exploitation in the fashion industry. Today we have with us Nayantara Banerjee from the Garment Worker Center. Nayantara is the former small business owner with over a dozen years of experience in specialized tailoring and alterations. She has an undergrad degree in fashion design from Syracuse University and has pursued graduate studies researching labor and responsibility in the apparel industry in New York University. After several years of volunteering with Los Angeles's Garment Worker Center, including leading creative sewing and pattern making classes for its members, Nayantara now serves full-time in industry research and strategic partnership for GWC. And we are also honored to have with us someone who can share firsthand experience with working at the factories in Los Angeles, a garment worker, Francisco Zul. Nayantara, would you like to introduce us to Francisco? 
It is a pleasure to introduce Francisco and thank you so much for having us. So Francisco is a garment worker with many years uh, history working in the garment industry, both in his home country in Mexico since he was a teen and here in Los Angeles. And he has been a leader at the Garment Worker Center for three years. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Francisco. We specifically um, had to record this interview on the weekend because Francisco works at the factories during the week. So thank you for making time for us. And we're just going to dive right in. Uh, many of us don't know, have any idea what it means to work at a factory in Los Angeles. We always think, you know, working at a factory is abroad, but it's right here, you know, in the United States. And so we would love to hear, Francisco, about the realities of working here in Los Angeles and just your personal experience as a garment worker. Oh, hi. Yes. Just like you said, my name is Francisco. I'm a garment worker. And thank you for having me in your uh, program, in this podcast. I'm honored to be here and to be able to share some of my experiences as a garment worker. It's exactly just like you said, that a lot of people including in the United States, do not know the bad work conditions that we have on the, uh, on the, on the clothing factories, basically, in the whole area of Los Angeles and in California, which I was really, really surprised uh, first time I came to Los Angeles because I thought this was something that happens, you know, abroad, something that happens uh, overseas. And I'm from... Uh, third world country uh, and then i know exactly what it means to work in such terrible conditions there but i never thought that something like that or worse is happening here do you want to share a little bit more about what ha what you encountered when you started working in los angeles in the factories here oh absolutely one of the worst experience that I have is not only the salary, but the way uh, people has been treated, people are humiliated. Uh, there are so many things that, uh, especially the, uh, the, the managers and the contractors, it seems like they are not prepared to work with people as people because they might have the resources, they got the machines and they got these contracts to the big brands, companies, and they work with them, but they don't know how to treat people at all. You know, like working is, a, sometimes work is a blessing. However, there are some times that uh, work becomes unpleasant when you are into that situation that you not just only got really low paid, but the way you have been treated is the, basically the worst. And then that makes workplace a lot more difficult. And it creates, you know, all these symptoms like stress and uh, frustration and things that you have to deal with, whether you like it or not. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about how you're being paid? Uh, you know, was it per piece? Absolutely. Or, yeah. It's one of my, 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 <laughs> my favorite uh, subjects. It's amazing. You know, I used to work like 12 hours a day from Monday to sometimes to Saturday. I worked holidays, Labor Day, which, you know, if you, if you think about it, I mean, Labor Day, you know, it's funny at some point because you realize that Labor Day should be uh, your day, the day to maybe to go out there to celebrate, stay with the family, or go to the movies, or go to a picnic, to a park, or 
you know, take the, the free time. But instead of that, uh, most of this, even now, even now, this time is happening. You're not going to believe this, but I used to work on Christmas, uh, on, on New Year's Eve. Wow. Uh, Christmas Eve, especially when Christmas Eve and, and uh, New Year's Eve is on, on the weekday. I mean, because we work for the, I used to work for the peace rate. And then one day short is a lot of money. Yeah. The reason why we have to work is because we never have a full week of working. Sometimes we have to, we work like three days, four days. And whenever the, you know, the, uh, the contact or the, the work ends, you know, they, they send us back home and then they call us sometimes a week after. And we have to look up for another place to work. But it's not easy because there are a lot of people and sometimes the work condition at another uh, places are the same or even worse than the one we just left. So it's complicated. Yeah. And about my salary, this is uh, one of the most outrageous experience that I have because working like many, many hours without earning what we deserve, it makes me really upset. Make me really angry sometimes because uh, they um I was making like a five six hours uh, six dollars an hour working like twelve ten hours a day most of the time seven to seven because uh, because of the system they use like working for the uh, piece rate so you we have to produce like a lot a lot of pieces in order to make fifty or forty dollars a day working twelve basically twelve so to hours a day and i just want to mention something which is very very important for the audience to know some people say this is not happening but we do have and i do have proofs for that some of the story that i share some of the things that i have said is based on true stories on the real thing and i can prove that myself you know the amount of money that i get every week the other thing is that sometimes they pay us with the check and for many times I went to the bank and the bank was, you know, they didn't have funds. They got these, like they call the bounce check, something like that. So it's complicated. I have a story that I'm going to make it really, really short. A week before Christmas Eve, like a few years ago, uh, my, my dad was really sick. Fortunately, my, my dad passed away a few years ago. But before that, he was he was sick and I needed to send my family an economic support in order to get to the, to the doctor. That was a week before Christmas, one Christmas. And then I went to the bank and they, they said that they didn't have funds, they didn't have money. And I was really desperate and I went back to the clothing factory that I was working on. When I got there, the clothing factory was closed. And then, well, the guy who was in charge, the manager, said, come back on Tuesday because that was on the weekend, like Saturday. And then come back on Tuesday because Monday were not open. I went there on Tuesday and it was still closed. And I saw a sign said, come back next year because we are closing and we are, we are going to open on the second week of January, the next year. So I basically, you know, got really straight and I never forgot. I, I cried desperately that day and I went to my friends and I showed them the check and I said, I have money, I have this money. They, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to 
pay me this amount, but I don't have the, you know, the, the, the physically, the real money with me. So I had to, to borrow some money from my, from my friends. And I send that money to my, my relatives because they desperately needed it. And that's just one story. There are like many uh, desperate stories that I passed working on the sweatshops in, in Los Angeles. Uh, Francisco, thank you for sharing. I know that must be a difficult story to revisit, but I, I appreciate it. And unfortunately, it's a, a very common experience uh, that government workers have in Los Angeles, um, producing for subcontractors uh, or, you know, small factories that are ultimately not paid enough by brands in order to be compliant with minimum wage. I mean, that is... Uh, the reality. And that's why we need to let people know. And people are just not aware. But, you know, you guys are what we said, the backbone of this country, you know, you guys are producing for the things that we purchase. And so I think that's why we need to shed light on this. And we need to let consumers and brands know how we can make a difference. With that in mind, Nayantara, would you like to tell us how the Garment Worker Center came to be? and the amazing work you're doing for the all the garment workers here in LA. So Garment Workers Center, we just ha- had our 20th, and last year was our 20th anniversary in Los Angeles. We are the only worker center organizing garment workers in Los Angeles. And yes, as you mentioned in the introduction, Los Angeles is the home of the largest garment manufacturing sector in the United States. If you have garments that were made in USA, most likely at about 83% of the time, those garments were made right here in Los Angeles. GWC grew out of an incident, uh, the most recent uh, incident um, that was actually called slavery with the Thai workers who were held in a townhouse in El Monte. And in 1995, there was one garment worker who had been trafficked from Thailand, there was many garment workers who had been trafficked. One of them escaped this townhouse in El Monte and ended up connecting with a Thai community center that was able to support them, eventually made, made them feel safe enough. And they drew a map. And through this map, investigators were able to identify the location of this townhouse in El Monte and free 72 trafficked immigrants who were producing for brands that were really dominant at the time, like guests. And this was done through the hot goods provision and the federal uh, labor standards. But basically it means that you can um, seize goods if they're made illegally, made under illegal circumstances. And this was slavery. So that was, these were goods that were made illegally. And out of that, so that was in 1995 in Garment Workers Center, you know, there were a few community organizations working with Garment Workers Centers at the time, Garment Workers at the time. And they realized there's actually a need for like a specific organization in there. So um, I believe Sweatshop Watch was one of the organizations and some of these local community groups. And then finally, Garment Workers Center. So with like the early years of Garment Worker Center was also the original Garment Worker Protection Act, which I think we'll talk about soon. The 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 most current uh, version of the Garment Worker Protection Act, but the original one established some rights for garment workers. And GWC really helped to educate workers on those rights and how to use them, how to utilize them in their workplaces. And so one of the things that the original Garment Worker Protection Act or AB 633 established was garment workers could use the labor commissioner 
to go through the labor commissioner's office to file wage theft claims against their employers and brands that were not paying them enough, that were like Francisco saying he was being paid five to six dollars an hour. That's still relevant, you know, as of last year for garment workers in Los Angeles for, you know, on average about like 57, 55 to 60 hours a week. And so that difference, you know, if minimum wage in Los Angeles was $15 an hour, that's at least nine to $10 every hour that they're owed. And then the overtime and then the meal and rest break violations, right? So I think, you know, on average garment workers are owed somewhere around like $700 a week in wages that are stolen. And it's very difficult for a garment worker to individually bring a lawsuit against a factory, you know? And so the law established this access to go through the labor commissioner's office to file wage theft claims. So you're not filing individual lawsuit, you're filing wage theft claims and contractors and manufacturers are responsible for that. But over the years, we're supporting garment workers to file their wage theft claims while also having campaigns against some of the really bad actors here in Los Angeles. So we started uh, really fighting against Forever 21. And, you know, more recently, we wrapped a several year campaign against Ross, Dress for Less, um, all who are pr producing garments right here in Los Angeles that were sold exclusively at their stores. But they Brands like Ross and Forever 21 use loopholes in the law to say that they weren't responsible for the wages for the garments that they sold. And so that became a real um, a part of our organizing to respond to the way the brands are exploiting these loopholes and to close those loopholes. That was came from our members. Right. And as as Francisco was explaining, the piece rate system is also something that workers identified as a problem. They are paid a few cents per shoulder seam or a few cents per hem. And in order to make anything amounting to some livable, some some amount of wage at the end of the day, you have to produce at a speed that is unsustainable. Right. And it disincentivizes workers from taking a break to go to the bathroom. Um, to wash their hands, to sanitize their workstations during COVID-19. Garment workers were producing millions of masks and weren't protected in their own workplace and weren't given the protections that they need. So that is really what brought us to like the current moment. And I wanted to, though, just to share a little bit more about GWC before we get into SB62, is I wanted to ask Francisco if he would share how he came to know GWC. It's another nice story for me to share. I remember one day I was, uh, I got fired and I, I was really desperate in a situation where I, you know, I had uh, some kind of a fight with, the, with one of the contractors because they didn't pay me what I deserve. And I was into the, uh, on my own fight with these people. And I, I got really mad and, you know, I said things that, I believe they were inappropriate. I got fired. <laughs> and I, I, I left and uh, I called a friend and a friend of me recommended me to go to another clothing factory by the area, by the fashion district area. And uh, I said, there is a place, you know, where person is hired and maybe you can go there and see, if, see what happens. And then I just walk. I was walking down on the streets of Los Angeles and I look up and I realized that there was a sign that said the Garment Workers Center. And I, you know, I just stopped and I said, this might be, you know, uh, some kind of a government institution or something like that that helps people in the, you know, in the garment industry. So I just went there and I 
realized it was a lady. Daisy was there, and I asked for information, and she said, "Oh, you know what? We help. We are trying to help the garment workers here. If you want to file your know, complaint, you can actually get, you know, uh, the money that the people owe you." Or, but one of the things that I became really interested for is when she mentioned that they were fighting for a law to pass, and then uh, a legislation. And she said, we are trying to change things, and we are trying to eliminate the peace rate and see if the government helped us to pass a law to eliminate that system, to get, you know, the government worker centers a better work condition, a better salary. And when I heard that, I realized that I was exactly in the place that I, I should be. I didn't really think twice to join, and I said, just sign me in. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm in, because this is exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. And then uh, after that, I started uh, working with them, and I became a member uh, right away. And then I started helping for the campaign to uh, for the SB62, and I realized that that was... Uh, but. Uh, which is uh, interesting is that I didn't file a, a complaint that day in the, the following months, the following years, because I didn't really think about myself. I thought about those thousands of people who are having exactly the same problem that I was going through. That I thought about this female working on the uh, workers uh, in that industry. Most of them, most of them are, 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 are women with families, some of them single mothers that they have to take care of their family by themselves. So I thought about that. I thought about the people, I thought about doing something for the whole community itself. So I started to work and I got involved, uh, like I said, right away. And we, we uh, I had the uh, opportunity to, well, the people, the garment workers, center gave me the opportunity to share in the way that I can because honestly sometimes I have I still have the struggle with the with the language but I wanted to send the message in English for one reason because I wanted to get the message across to the people who are really trying to to help us the the assembly members of the Congress of California the Senate of the California not to mention the governor I know for sure that in these times we have this uh, opportunity to get uh, people who are able in California when there are so many people who are able to speak both languages Spanish and English but I wanted to get my message across you know because a lot of people did not know the stories they and then our testimonies uh, should get to the media not only in Spanish, because they are not that strong. The Spanish media is not as strong as the, the English media. So I thought about it and I said, if you give me the chance to tell the people our stories to, in a, because we, we made a lot of uh, programs like uh, radio stations on TV and basically all the social medias involved in, you know, on, the, uh, on all of these situations. But uh, fortunately, I have the opportunity to share some of the stories and some of my testimonies so that the people are realized that there is something that's going on like i said there is a, some kind of a modern slavery that people don't know out there 
Yeah, I mean, you represent thousands and thousands of stories of, you know, people experiencing just such injustice. And I appreciate you just using your voice and your willingness to learn English to just be able to be a voice um, for thousands and thousands of workers. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, And I'm just thinking about what a Oasis, you know, Garment Worker Center must be for these people as they walk in and just a place that's willing to advocate for them. Like that is just so incredible, such incredible work. Sorry to interrupt, but we got to tell you this. Did you know that Fairtrade LA led the campaign that officially designated Los Angeles the largest fair trade city in North America and the fourth largest in the world? We are a nonprofit that exists because of the support from people like you. Become a Fairtrade LA monthly donor to ensure this educational content reaches as many people as possible. Go to fairtradela/donate to pledge your support. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Let's get back to the episode. I know we kind of touched on this, so I want to, a lot of our listeners may not know. So this is a huge deal. Recently, there was a huge win in the garment industry in California because of the many years of hard work at GWC. But officially on September 27th, 2021, California passed the SB 62 or the Garment Worker Protection Act, which will eliminate the piece rate pay and provide a fair minimum wage better protection and work environments for the over 46,000 California garment workers who make up the strong backbone of this country's largest apparel producing hub. So that's a huge deal. So for those of us who may not be as familiar with this, can you tell us a little bit more about the SB62 and how it all got started? Uh, I'd be happy to. So the Origins of SB 62 are in AB 63 legislation that was passed in 1999 and the 20 years of lessons we learned since that legislation was passed. So while AB 633 created access for garment workers to file wage theft claims to the labor commissioner's office, they were often still left waiting for their wages. And like Francisco explained before, common practice that we would see is that garment workers would file wage theft claims or even simply get a bounce check and go back to that factory to see that it's closed. It's moved. It was a uh, something called cut and run, right? And so these small factories would just move down the hall, down the block and hire a new pool of garment workers and do it again until they again felt that they were at risk of getting a number of wage theft claims filed. So we started to ask, government started, workers started to ask, well, how am I going to get paid? I can file a wage theft claim, but the factory's not going to pay me. And, and we did a power analysis with our members and to really understand, well, where is the money coming from? And where is it? How is it not getting to us, to the garment workers? And we identified, you know, that brands at the top of the supply chain are not paying their manufacturers and contractors down the line enough money for them to be compliant with labor laws, minimum wage. So when contractors are being paid less than, I think, 73% of the price that they would actually need in order to comply with minimum wage standards, they're the bottom, you know, of already of a big supply chain. 
they pass that on to the garment workers. And this is happening all across the industry, not just in Los Angeles. So, you know, garment workers are filing individual wage theft claims until, you know, again, we started talking, what can we do as what's a collective solution to this? And that was to change the law. And so that brought us SB 62. Initially started uh, the campaign for the actual legislation uh, started in 2020 in the pandemic. We, and that time that bill every year the bill has a different number it was called SB 1399 championed by our author and and just general all-around labor badass um is Senator Maria Elena Durazo and she and our co-sponsors and co-authors worked really hard to and, and our members I mean really like brought our members into to, throughout the pandemic our members worked really hard learning how to get on zoom in the pandemic from their factories while they're making masks providing testimony to the legislators, you know, and it didn't, it failed to be brought for a vote in 2020. Then we brought it again in 2021. Garment workers wasted no time. When they found out that the legislation wasn't passed, they just said, okay, well, we go again. When can we start? And that was really powerful. And, you know, for me, I have to say, honestly, I was like, oh, I'm going to sit around and feel sad for a little bit. And they, I mean, they wasted no time. And so in 2021, we started the we started the campaign in December of 2020. So we were ready, made it through 2021, made it through all of the different committee votes and continued to talk about these circumstances in the garment industry. And so what garment workers had identified as most important was the elimination of the piece rate system on one part of it, right, which is how they were having all, so many wages stolen from them on a weekly basis. But this important component of brand accountability, right? And that is so that when there's wage theft claims, garment workers have the right to hold their direct employer, the contractor or factory uh, accountable, but they also can go up the supply chain all the way up to the brand so that the brand is finally on the hook for the wages in their own supply chain. And this is precedent setting for the garment industry and necessary. Because if we don't have brand accountability, all we're doing is actually making it harder for, honestly, many of these factories are mom and pop shops. A lot of them are started by former garment workers, you know, and they have been operating in a system that is abusive, that does humiliate, right? Humiliate people in so many different ways. And brands leverage their power in the supply chain over these contractors every year to negotiate for prices that are absolutely unsustainable. But these, everyone has felt like, well, I don't know what to do. This is how the system works. So it took garment workers organizing, coming together and saying, enough with these piece rates that haven't changed in 20 years, enough with all of us filing individual wage theft claims that don't get paid out. Let's come together and let's fight and get the legislation we need. And we won. As you said, now I, I just think it would be really great, actually, if Francisco could share a little bit more about the campaign for this and maybe even how you're, you know, you went to lot, you went to Sacramento for a lobby day. You did some really remarkable things to get this bill passed. I wonder if you have any story from that that you would like to share. Of course, since I was involved, we had this, a lot of meetings and demonstrations and we realized that the, the higher authorities were not doing anything about <laughs> petition, about our, you know, our concerns. So we decided to go directly to the governor's office. It was really important for us to do that because that's the only way that, you know, our voice can be heard. 
there is an important uh, moment that I would like to share with you as well. Unfortunately, we didn't have the chance to speak uh, for a few of them because they just sent representatives. We did not have the opportunity to talk to the governor, which I wanted to do. I was prepared for it. I was. I wanted to say the boss. <laughs> the real story. Unfortunately, we didn't have the chance because it might be an excuse, but they said because the pandemic and couldn't get into the office. And well, I didn't really believe that. I thought it was more an excuse than something else. Fortunately, the people who talked to us took care of our petition and they took that information to the, uh, to the governor. And then finally, he signed up for the SB62. But it was a, a, a great journey. It was a great experience as well. I never thought that I would have the ability to talk to very important people such as... I never thought in my life to be able to share a little bit about my life, about my story with the media, not even in English. Honestly, I want to tell you that. But hey, you know, uh, it happens and then uh, I'm really happy about it and I just want to thank the TWC because that not only helps me on my in my work but that improves my uh, communication skills like this moment this opportunity that I'm with you guys today is this is grand this is very important for me I love that you were there on lobbying day in Sacramento and I would love to hear what does passing SB 62 mean to you and your fellow garment workers? How does it impact all of you? Well, it means great changes. It means um, change for the life of many, many, many people. It dignifies a little bit the garment workers' uh, life. It dignifies the garment work as well. It is not going to fix everything. There is still a lot of things needs to be done, but at least it alleviates some of the economic situation for the for the families, like I mentioned before, because I know people who are working there who have families, and not to mention these days with the you know higher higher uh, quality of life in, in California, the prices of anything you buy at the market is it's very expensive. So what it means is it's is, is a great change for uh, many uh, lives and many people in the garment industry. And it means uh, a, a very important thing to happen. Yeah, it's, the, it's a huge step in the right direction. And for Nantara, what does this mean for the future of fashion industry? Do you have hope that the fashion industry can be used for good? I'm so glad you asked that question, Alicia. One thing I, I didn't mention earlier and I am very excited about is that, you know, when we were campaigning for SB62 for two years, we were also garnering industry support for this legislation. And we actually, were, when we began the campaign, you know, we were tasked with getting, you know, 12 businesses to support SB 62, who would maybe be able to, to speak to media and to testify about ethical and sustainable fashion and, and why that this movement would want to support garment workers and, and this bill. And we ended the campaign with 158 endorsers. 
that is 158 brands and um, manufacturers, contractors, like local factories and advocates and organizations, uh, including Fashion Revolution, you know, and Remake, you know, those groups as well, were putting their voice behind garment workers to amplify it, right? To say, we need SB62. We all need SB62. And it's because, especially for what we're seeing is this like really growing ethical and sustainable fashion industry based in California. There are a number of smaller brands and, and medium and growing brands that are working in Los Angeles based here and working with contractors here to produce their collections for so many reasons. Namely, this really skilled pool of garment workers. On, on average, Los Angeles garment workers have 21 years of experience. That doesn't exist anywhere else in this country. Um, Los Angeles is so well situated because we have the twin ports. We have all the distribution networks. We have our fashion district, which is home to such a big cluster of garment factories. Um, and so it's been really cool to say, to see, this is a industry with 130 years history in Los Angeles. Garment, garment work in Los Angeles goes back 130 years. And it's changing. It's evolving. It has been a sweatshop industry. And now thanks to garment worker organizing, we're changing that. And we're coming together with ethical and sustainable fashion industry to say, here, now you have a level playing field. You don't have to compete on sweatshop wages anymore. Everyone's going to be accountable for minimum wage. And what can you do with that? You know, it's really exciting. And so I think that it gives me hope that we'll have further worker-led legislation because that's really and, and worker-led organizing, right? That that's going to really respond to what the industry needs, both in terms of labor and in terms of the environment, right? I think that's really where we need to turn to the workers and get guidance from them because they're the ones working with the materials. They're the ones that know exactly how everything gets made. They are the experts, right? So I, I'm, I'm feeling really hopeful that we pass this because we have this opportunity now to continue on this path. Yeah. And as consumers, how do we make sure we're buying from sweat-free supply chain? Do you have any tips or labels to look out for? You know, I think, well, I think you all do a great job at Fair Trade. I know you share about the brands and, and um, you know, organizations that you work with as um, suppliers and the supply chain. Um, and there are a number of community organizations, uh, community-based organizations like Remake, uh, and Fashion Revolution. Fashion Revolution has a transparency uh, report, remake, also has uh, their brand accountability reporting. Um, and I think it's just helpful to be curious as a consumer, right? You're, next time you're thinking you need a new garment, really start to think, I mean, there are a number of ways you can, you can go about it, right? And by starting secondhand, that's always great. And when you get to the point where you're ready, you, you need a new garment, you know, think about what you would want on your body? Would you want something made an environment that you wouldn't, you can't even imagine? You're going to put that on your body. Um, you know, hands make our garments. People make our garments. We don't have a lot of experience as consumers generally understanding how garments get made, how these things get made. And I am not a garment. I do not have the skill of Francisco or any of our garment workers center members, but for um, you know, 13 years, I ran a business making and tailoring garments. And I can just tell you, it's hard. It's hard, you know. Um, and so this is a really skilled thing. So I think just being more curious and thinking about where things are made, how things are made, and then asking brands, you can ask a brand if it doesn't say on their website where something is made, you should ask, 
They have a contact email. Also, you know, it's great to support brands that do share, that are transparent about where things are made, how things are made, and how much people get paid. That's a really important question. How much are people getting paid? Yeah, I think if anything, we're walking out of this conversation knowing that just because the label says made in USA does not mean it's sweat free. And it is really now that we know as consumers and listeners, and now it's up to us, we have to be responsible to do the research, to ask the questions, um, to look behind the curtains, you know, of the brands and, and where they're producing and are they being transparent? I think as consumers, we do have to rise up in that, um, taking on that responsibility. So thank you. Um, so now that this bill is passed, which is a huge accomplishment, what is the next big step for GWC? As Francisco mentioned before, we passed the SB 62, but the work continues, the struggle continues. And actually a big part of this year is on outreach and education about SB 62. We are telling garment workers, we're doing that our members, right? We're working with our members to do further outreach to reach garment workers across Los Angeles, And, you know, this is a statewide bill. So really across the state to talk to their colleagues about SB 62, about what it means, about peace rate, to then act upon these new rights that have been afforded them with this law. So we're also working with the Labor Commissioner's Office and their Bureau of Field Enforcement Investigators that go out to the factories. They have a specific garment unit within the labor commissioner's office that specifically focuses on enforcement of garment worker protection act um, to identify where are the factories where we're still hearing that garment workers are being paid peace rate and to go there and to do an investigation to cite violations and the bureau of and field investigators this is the important private they have also been given the authority to cite up the supply chain so garment workers are they know who they're producing for they can document the brands that they're producing for. And the BOFI investigators can also identify the brands that garment workers are producing for. And this is one of the ways we can start to say, not only is the factory, if the factory is the one that's responsible, there will be an investigation and that will be found out. But if it's coming from the brand, the brand's not paying enough, that investigation is gonna find that out as well, right? So we're working with the agencies we're, uh, and really working with garment workers to make sure that this bill is successfully implemented and that requires them acting on their rights, right? That's our, that's our big focus right now. And at the same time, we're also really working to make sure that we're supporting and nurturing ethical and sustainable garment manufacturing in California, right here in our fashion district, um, and just making sure that the fashion district continu- continues to be a viable home for this evolving industry. Yeah, your work is so important and I would love to support any way we can in the fair trade world because yeah, I truly believe it's education. We got to educate, educate, educate and and you guys are on the grounds just making sure that this this bill is actually being respected <laughs> and you know, being being used and protecting the garment workers. So thank you for all that you do. I would like to mention something about the future very quick Absolutely. Uh, of the Garment Worker Center. Something that we are working hard on is that um, about these great changes that the uh, local authorities of City Hall or the City of Los Angeles are trying to make. They are trying to, you know, 
make great changes, especially in the fashion district area. Somehow they want to take that away and they want to, you know, they want to make such a mega and fancy <laughs> kind of uh, uh, buildings there. And they try to disappear that, that area. And, and, and it's like a displacement of the fashion industry to I don't know where, because we haven't seen on their plans and they haven't talked to us as garment workers to make that decision. They just try to displace us anywhere else, but they don't realize that thousands of people working there are, you know, they depend on uh, on that place. And uh, to mention that the fashion district area is very important part of the uh, of the economic uh, support of California because the fashion district area is is just like the the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And they took the tourists there and they they showed them that this is the place where you know a lot of people are making you know uh the clothes that sometimes they they buy there and not to mention the entertainment industry and sometimes they say this is where the you know where the costumes this is where the with the dress or the mm -hmm. you know or or whatever mm -hmm. the actors or the actress mm -hmm. uses and the on the uh on the movies this is the place where it's made, so it's very important part of the uh, of the of the economy of uh, of California, which they are trying to displace. They want to take it, like I said, I don't know where. That is something that we are really uh, fighting for. Something that uh, is one of our our plans, and to talk to the people who are trying to make those changes. I know there are great uh, developers who are trying to invest in that area. But the changes are for people who are able to pay like high. They have a, a completely different type of life and a, a quality of life, which is completely different from the garment workers. And if those places disappear, it's going to be a lot more difficult for us to find for work because that's where the factories are. And if they want to make changes, we want to make sure as well that the changes shouldn't be just for the for the rich people, for, but for us as workers, we need to change that work conditions. We need at least to have uh, AC on the summer. Working in those places is like in the summer. It's like it's like hell, mm. <laughs> like a hundred and more degrees working in that condition all day long honestly it's unpleasant sometimes yeah. it's, it's it's really difficult so thank you for the GWC people that they have all that information so they are basically educating us yeah. you know they are empowering us in yeah. order to get uh, a little more um more information and to let the world know that there are uh, nice and beautiful changes in Los Angeles, but it's like not for everybody. And yeah. they are trying to displace a group of people who are in needed, or uh, you know, people who really need that. That's those places to work. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for sharing and raising awareness, because, like you said earlier, you know, we have to increase the dignity, you know, of the garment workers and. I truly believe you guys are the fabric of Los Angeles. You know, you guys are the fabric of California. You guys are part of the identity of the city and what makes the city so powerful. So uh, we definitely have to do what we can to increase the protection and 
the respect for our garment workers. So definitely keep us posted in this, in this journey. Um, I know that this is not going to be our last conversation and I'm excited for all the, you know, big things to come, but I know that's a lot of work ahead, but yeah, as we close, I do want to ha- I have a fun question for you guys. Uh, what is your favorite ethical fashion company you enjoy working with? I'm going to let Francisco take this one. <laughs> uh, should I mention the place that I'm working in now? Yeah, I, I was going to uh, say that I, I'm uh, grateful to be part of a project, part of a, a concept this, which is completely different from the sweatshops. I work for Chantic Los Angeles. It's a, a group of such amazing, amazing people. I just want to thank our customers for trusting in for me part of that, you know, uh, a growing companies in Los Angeles. And that's how I feel like it's absurd for the big and huge brands to say that they are not able to pay us uh, for the uh, minimum wage when the place that I work at, I make a little more than the than the minimum wage, like $15.25 or $15 an hour. I make a little more than that in a really micro company, like a very small company. However, our customers understand that what we do there is very important for the economy. It's very important for local small business. And, we, uh, and that's one of the things that I would like to encourage uh, the community the people of the United States to, to buy in local business and to support us to continue in this great, in this path. The more you buy, the more we, uh, the more you help uh, the very uh, few people who are working for the minimum wage now, because there's still a, a lot of people working for the, for, for the peace rate out there. There are still people who are really afraid to speak up who don't yeah. want to say uh, what is going on in the clothing factories. However, in the place that I'm working, I'm, I'm not only as a, an employee, but I felt for the first day that uh, I was adopted as a part of the family, part of the project. And that's when I'm really happy, I'm glad, and I feel like I'm fortunate to find the, the place. And thank you to the Garment Worker Center because I got involved in the Garment Worker Center and the people of the Garment refer me to that place. You know, otherwise I could, you know, just stay at the at the, at the sweatshop. But yeah. thank you for them. I found this place and they refer me to it. And then I'm working there and I'm really happy Yeah, uh, working there. And yeah, the more we as consumers demand that type of company, the more I believe those companies will exist because I believe that companies do respond to consumer demand. So let's keep supporting the good places. So we ask every speaker this question at the end of our episode, what is one simple action step our listeners can do to help create a more equitable, a more fair world for all of our garment workers? I'll start um, with just a simple, easy thing, right? And we're talking about educating ourselves, educating others. Um, You can watch the Made in LA documentary. 
and um, I'm sure you'll be able to link it. Um, you can find it if you Google it. Um, I know there it's available on a few different like websites. It's kind of around. So, and you know, just get an insight into the life of a garment worker in Los Angeles. And I would also recommend follow Garment Worker Center. We'll be giving you updates on exactly what Francisco was talking about, the uh, rezoning and land use changes that are displacing work opportunities as that campaign develops further. Um, and, you know, sharing other opportunities that you can engage with the Garment Worker Center. So um, our social media info, we can also include in the show notes for you, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Made in LA documentary is so good. And if you really want to kind of see behind the scenes of how the garment you know, district and how the garment workers fought um, and is isn't fighting here in LA, that's definitely a great documentary to watch. Francisco, do you have a simple step that you want our listeners to take? For me, it's uh, encourage our, your audience uh, to show up local to support the small business, the garment business as well. And I know that there are many people who are going to the mall and buy products from, you know, around the world. But, you know, we have to support uh, our local uh, our businesses in order to grow because it, is, uh, it makes, uh, you know, the difference in the economy of our, our state, in California and the United States as well. Yeah, that's a great Great tip. Um, and even brands that may be listening, you know, encouraging them to make, make in LA, you know, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to include in the show notes, maybe the garment factories to encourage people to produce that. I don't know if that's a resource that GWC has like a list of factories. We can, folks can always email me and we can talk okay. about it because it's, it is, it. we have some wonderful factories that have endorsed SB62 campaign and Kentique, uh, where Francisco is employed, also were endorsers for the SB62 campaign. So it's always, always happy to share those kinds of resources, but it might be easier to, if folks can always email me at Nyantara right. at garmentworkercenter.org and I will walk you through them. Yeah. Sounds good. Yes. So in the show notes, I will include Nayantara's email. And if you're a brand and you're interested in producing in LA and making sure that you are supporting an ethical factory, you know, email her. But yeah, as consumers, like let's do our job and and making sure that we support local and make sure that we do the research and to support the right companies. But thank you so much. This was an incredible conversation and really enlightened us in the behind the scenes of who makes our clothes. And I think this will really help direct our future of the fashion industry. So thank you to both of you guys. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Alicia. It was really a pleasure to be here. And I feel very, really, I want to express so much gratitude to Francisco, who really is a, a leader in all sense of the word and a very important person at GWC. And I'm, I'm very glad that he was able to be join us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making the time. I want to thank the creative team behind the Fair Talks podcast, our executive producer, Juliette Bucquerel, our editor, Paula Park, and our marketing team, Jasmine French, Elena Alcero, and Lizzie Case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fair Talks podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community and sharing the fair trade message. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fair Trade USA, for making this possible. Now, are you ready to create change? The next time you're out shopping, just pick up one fair trade item to buy, like coffee, chocolate, or bananas, and make a difference. 
Ask your office, church, business, school, or your family to shop more fair. If you have any questions or want to learn more, head over to fairtradela.org slash podcast for show notes, discount codes, and additional resources. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at FairTradeLA to join our amazing community of fair trade lovers. Tune in to our next Fair Talks conversation to hear more life-changing stories. Thanks for listening.